0: That's right you waited all week long and we are back once again this is the cubs weekly podcast presented by win trust exclusive home of chicago cubs checking featuring free atms nationwide open online today at wintrust.com slash cubs now i'm cole wright running point guard here on this episode of the cubs weekly podcast i'm joined by my usual running bunny tony Andraki, but uh today Oh boy, we have a very special guest. It's the one, the only, you see him on Marquee Sports Network, you see him on MLB Network, and you see him on new episodes of Off the Mound. It's Ryan Dempster because Off the Mound, Demp, those new episodes, they begin again on Friday. You're going to have an in-depth one-on-one with, lo and behold, the Cubs skipper, David Ross. But before we get to what went down in that conversation, how are you doing, man?
1: I'm good, you know, just... Uh yeah navigating e-learning at home I uh I've become quite the teacher I might, I gotta say that I, I finally feel comfortable going on that are you smarter than a fifth grader show it took <laughs> a month of e-learning but I can do it now so yeah things are good Cole thanks man
0: oh nice to have you nice to have you now we talked about the what's going on on, on off the mound and uh David Ross he's stopping by and uh you know before we actually touch on that conversation uh I've never been invited on off the mound, never been invited on at home trivia. I feel like unless I'm doing, you know, comes pre and post game, Deb. I, I, that's all they want to see me on.
1: Uh, you're just getting your feet wet before you know it. Be careful what you ask for, you know, and then <laughs> you start to become a regular. And now you're, now you're working overtime. So yes, uh, exactly. yeah, it's, uh, it's really awesome to see the, you know, the the first year launching Marquee Network into this, you know, pandemic and then just kind of seeing uh it, like everybody chipping in with the play at home trivia with being able to do off the mound from you know it, what started at a rental home in in uh lake geneva to the to my basement has been has been fun and now into the studio so uh we'll, we'll be sure that you get on at, at least uh at least one if not both i can't handle play at home trivia is not mine, Cole. so i can't okay that's, off that's, that's out, true you know, fair, fair enough that.
0: fair enough so uh when you and, and rossi caught up what, what was the conversation like man
1: yeah, just just lots of things, life, baseball, managing your first year in the big leagues. Um, you know, managing uh players, um, you know, talk to him, really good conversation. He had some incredible things to say about John Lester. Obviously, everybody knows how he feels about him, but he got really personal about that. And um, yeah, just kind of more life than baseball. Um, but uh yeah, just the nuances too of of having to uh you know, deal with it all. I, I talked to, to Brandon Hyde one time and it was really funny. And and Rossi agrees with this. Is you know, I said, What's the hardest part about managing Hyder? This when he went to Baltimore after leaving us as the bench coach. He goes, Talking? Dude, as a manager, you just talk and talk. Your door is ding-dong, ding-dong, ding-dong. It's a trainer, then a coach, then a player, then another trainer's back in, then the strength coach comes in, then the front office comes down, then the players comes back in. He's like, You never stop, you know, and he goes, I used to always kind of like be kind of a little bit pissed at Joe Madden because Joe would stroll in at 3 30 in the afternoon and he goes then I started managing and I'm like oh I get it I get it you know now I know why you don't get here and you know and then talking to Rossi just about the dynamic of you know 2020 and COVID that just is like you take all the talking that they normally do and conversations that they're normally having and it was like double that because you think about it you know like Rossi said to me at one point he's like I never realized I was going to, like, have to, like, release so many guys. Like, normally during a season, you might release one or two guys or, you know, because of the, you know, the way rosters were constantly shuffling. It was it was a tough year for for any manager and, and for a first-time manager. I, that's why, like, I'm just, like, hats off for him for winning the division because that was a lot to take on.
2: Ryan, how has this show developed for you? I mean, off the mound uh... – it was a panel at Cubs convention. It was a, you know, a regular favorite for fans there. And now it's developed into, into this regular show with you and getting some of the biggest guests from, you know, Mike Trout to Ken Griffey jr to Ross. How has this developed in your eyes and, and how, you know, has it grown?
1: Yeah. You know, when it first started exactly that, it was a one night show in January, at the Cubs convention on Friday night. And we just had this idea. Um, Max Berman and I kind of came together with it. A couple of people in the front office and, we had a lot of fun with it and, and it was fun developing it from like a you know it was a two and a half hour live show where we're not taking any breaks and I had to learn to not go to the bathroom that whole time and I wasn't wearing a <laughs> catheter so it was no water from noon on um, but it was uh, it was a lot of fun and then as we started to do it we started in- integrating videos and getting guests and then started doing live shows at uh innings festival in Arizona and you know just kind of had the idea that maybe we could do this, you know, at least weekly, like, you know, it's a lot of content to put it out on a nightly basis, but once a week to be able to sit down with a guest or two and just talk to them about baseball for sure. um, But life, you know, and I I couldn't be more thrilled that, you know, having the opportunity to have a season two now um, the studio, as people are going to see on Friday, uh, it it looks unbelievable. They dialed it in big time. And um, so to be able to do that, Um, For me, developing stuff like, you know, doing stand-up and doing improv and those kind of things, where as being a host, I can handle that and bring a little bit of the late-night kind formula to it. Um, It's just been a ton of fun, and uh, hopefully, it keeps growing, get getting better. Hopefully, I'm just touching the surface on being able to interview you guys and talk to them and get those answers, and so we can appreciate them for uh, who they are, what they do for sure, but more importantly, who they are. and, uh, and have a little bit of an understanding them, of them as human beings.
0: Well, Deb, what's it like having this show and you're interviewing your former teammates and a, a lot of the great stories, you already know some of those stories. So your ability to walk some of those cats right into it and bring the best out of them. How, how much of a challenge has that been for you so far?
1: Yeah, you're right. Because It is a challenge because those stories are usually pretty privileged. You know, some of them, some of them are behind the scenes or in hotel rooms or, you know, they're a night out at dinner. So, or so Carrie
0: Wood broke the radio, right?
1: Yeah, which I'm digging deep, still trying to find out uh, who did that, you know, and we're, we're going to get to the bottom of that. I don't know if I have to knock on the door and talk to his, his wife, Sarah, about that, but we'll get to the bottom of that. But uh, um, no, it's, it, it really is. And it's also important because I think we we constantly, we, I meaning I'm a baseball fan, baseball fans, sports fans, we put people on pedestals, which is great, but, but they're also humans. And they also, you know, I always say, I always say they put their shoes on one foot at a time, just like everybody else. They're, they're, you know, human beings. And when we can kind of humanize that a little bit more uh, maybe we have a little bit more sympathy for when a guy goes over for, 4, right? Like he's not really like trying to go over for 4. Uh, he's trying to succeed too. Um, and so if I can connect that fan with the player on that sense, or they hear a funny story. Like Case in point, my uncle did not like Roger Clemens at all. Wasn't a big Roger Clemens fan. And at Innings Fest, I brought Roger Clemens up and had an awesome interview. And he was funny and he was candid and he was great. My uncle came up. He was there. And he gave me a big hug. And he's like, thank you. He's like, I had an opinion of somebody I knew nothing about. I didn't know anything mm-hmm. about him other than what I read. And it's totally changed after that. So that ultimately for me is like, wow, man, that, what a great night. It made me feel good because I know Roger on a different level than, than some people. So hopefully we can continue to do that, share great stories. You know, hearing Ben Zobris at Cubs convention talk about the at-bat of Game 7 of the World Series and walk us through pitch by pitch. Like, those are moments that connect with fans to really understand what he felt. And to me, that was really, really cool stuff.
2: So, Demp, you mentioned, you know, you, were, you are a fan. How was taking in 2020 for you as a fan, as a former player, knowing some of these guys like Ross and what he went through, but just analyzing the game and watching the game in such a weird year?
1: Yeah, I mean, first of all, I, I'm probably with most people at home. I thought, you know, from a fan's perspective, it sure did suck not being able to go to Wrigley Field. You know, that, that was tough. But it also gave you a little bit of an understanding of um, – kind of get all the noise around you out of there and just the purity of the game and watching it take place. Um, I realized how much uh, the game of baseball needs its fans. You know, it's great to watch it at home. It's great to be able to sit there and ha- say we had a season and the guys played, but I think truthfully, if you asked every one of them, they missed them. They missed the fans being in there. And and that's what makes the game of baseball the best. It, it always has um, is it's the fans The you know, the moments in baseball, it's hard to get momentum. You're at Wrigley Field, and you're the visiting pitcher. I've been there. When all of a sudden it starts getting loud and it starts getting louder, you know, it pays off, you know. And, and whether you're at Dodger Stadium or you're at Yankee Stadium or Fenway, it's the same way. And so that's home field advantage. And unfortunately for the guys, they didn't have it. Um, but I got to see a lot of cool things or hear a lot of th- – I remember walking in on opening day, leaving Cole. Uh, we were doing pre, pre and post. And I went to go do three, go up for three innings, and I walk in, and Ian Happ goes deep. And as he hit it, I could hear the sound of the ball go off the bat. And I just said, oh, that's a homer. I was in the 400 level, you know, walking down the concourse. I'm like, there's a homer. Because I could hear that. That's something that without – you know, with fans in there, you rarely, rarely ever hear even if you're in the dugout on the field. So it was just a totally different dynamic that was, uh, you know, it was frustrating in one sense. It was, it was a good perspective – Changer for another sense going forward and and I can't wait till we get fans back in the stadium and, you know, I can go back out to the bleachers and and make a snake cup with uh, with the rest of the left field bums.
0: So, Deb, safe assumption that uh, this part of this season, it was a lot more fun when you were in the booth with Lennon J.D. or did you have a blast more with, with me? in studio, because I, I know that if I had the exact same opportunity, I would say no, 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 being with you in studio. And that was if, if I was with myself in studio, I'd, I'd rather be over there with Len and JD, being able to watch the game on the field. I mean, the product that they put on in this 2020 was unbelievable.
1: Yeah, you know what? You're right. Like, I love being in the booth with you. I thought we, you know, I, I, in, the, uh, in the pregame with you, I, I thought that, um, you know, we hit it off really well. We have hit it off really well. Um, people said it to me like, oh, man, where'd you work with Cole? Somewhere at MLB Network? Or do you guys know each other? I'm like no and they're like oh you guys got really great chemistry and I you know I don't know if that was us quoting movie lines in between commercial breaks or what but uh you know there was there was some really good energy there and so I I did enjoy that and I did enjoy breaking down stuff but there's nothing better than you know being in the ballpark and and you know watching Len and JD go about their business how they prepare and how they're ready and um you know people don't realize when we're on the road and we're calling games I'm in a separate little booth by myself I can't even see Len and JD so I'm constantly having to stand up and making sure I'm not going to talk over them, but just to kind of get the, the understanding of what goes into calling baseball games. And like you said, the product on the field, like I, I know, I know that, you know, the Cubs didn't get to go deep into the playoffs like people were hoping, but um, you know, to get off to the hot start that they did to win a division. Um, and then they just ran into a buzzsaw on the Marlins there with a couple of good pitchers and a best of three. And as we learn and watch Cole throughout the season, anybody can beat anybody in a best of three series that's just factual and a reality so um but it was really really great year for them and they should be proud
2: you know and ryan one of the realities of baseball is the business side and, and we don't know what's going to happen with a, a guy like john lester as of as we're talking here you know the Cubs declined his option he's currently a free agent certainly there's there's a potential for a path back but what Lester did this past weekend in Chicago, you know, buying rounds of Miller light for people in the city to, to show his appreciation and gratitude. And he spoke about how much he missed the fans as well. Like you were talking about earlier and how he wished he could have pitched one last game at Wrigley in front of the fans, but just in general, you, you know, you've known John for a long time. What do you think that he meant to this Cubs team and this city in general over the last six years?
1: Yeah. I mean, he was, uh... As integral a part as anybody, um, especially that was in uniform, about changing the culture, changing what was perceived of the Cubs. Um, you know, and, you know, to come here on a six year and $155 million contract to make 30 plus starts every year. So, first and foremost, he just did his job, right? Like, that's what we want as fans when we do see. Obviously, we want people to have great years, but you want him to be accountable and accountability of showing up every fifth day and posting up. Um, John did that. And then on top of it, he had really, really good years. Saw young caliber years, he had all-star years. Um, What people don't see uh, at home is when John has a bad game, the next day when he's at the field and he's going about his work and he's putting his work in the impact that that has on the younger pitchers that watch that the Kyle Hendricks that watches that, you know, the, the Alec Mills that watches that. These guys, the uh, Albert Aslay who sees that and goes, oh, I'm not going to sulk, I'm not going to pout. And at the same time, when he has a great game, it's the same thing. And then you start to realize that's why he does that. That's why he posts up every fifth day to be able to pitch when he's not 100%. Um, and all of those things. And then what he did to help bring a World Series and, and bring in other guys. You know, he had influence on guys like David Ross and John Lackey coming there. Um, Those kind of guys so that you did have this World Series contender. You don't think that Dexter Fowler doesn't come back because John Lester's there? I know that he comes back because he's there. And then, you know, he goes, we all go, and we win a World Series. And and then there's all of the other stuff that really matters to to the teammates, right? Because when we're done playing, they just play more baseball games. Like, when the greatest players in the world stop playing, they're not like, well, you know what, we should take a month off because Derek Jeter quit playing they're just like, let's get another shortstop and let's just keep playing more games. So what kind of impact do you make on your teammates so that later on in life, and John Lester is, if there's 1A, he's 1A plus as far as how he treats people. From getting, you know, players' private planes for their family, to somebody sick at home, you got to be there, I'll take care of that. To picking up every dinner tab this side of the Mississippi. It's just nonstop. And when I saw what he did for the fans, and where he's buying, you know, a Miller Lite and a Coors Light for everybody. I wasn't shocked even for a second. I'm like that's just something John Lester does. He does that all the time the way he takes care of clubhouse staff and trainers and strength coaches and and everybody around him his family. Um he he's as good as they get, man. And you know, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm not I'm not uh, on the train of of uh, necessarily you pay for past performance, but if there's uh exceptions to the rule john lester is that exception to the rule he's he's a 10 of a 10 as a teammate uh and as somebody you want in your organization
0: adep i don't want you to speak for john lester but when we saw him in his last appearance at wrigley field you know there was an emotional outpouring no doubt about that and i think it i would be you know be remiss if i didn't say that you know he would really love to earn that 2000th victory in a Cubs uniform so I, I know that you know when it comes to contracts and negotiations and the future there's a lot of things that can get murky not just for John Lester but for players all across Major League Baseball how much would it mean for John Lester to be back in Cubby Blue and see that 200 victory come his way while he's a member of the Cubs
1: yeah I think a lot I really do I think that um, you know very few players get the opportunity to have kind of a, a swan song in a town or a, you know. An opportunity to to not only be thanked you know because we should be thanking him but to thank to thank them to go out there and give his best effort that day you know to go on the road to to san diego where there's a ton of cubs fans and they all show up because john lester's pitching that day to say thank you john and we really appreciate it to go to cincinnati and watch a trove of cars you know driving down there or you know rush hour on the on the 55 to st louis because they want to go see john lester pitch one last time in a cubs uniform and never he never got that the fans never got that and i i really hope that it happens um i don't know if it will or won't i know that um i know that both sides want it to happen so hopefully it does um but yeah it it would mean a lot to him I, i think that it was a really really tough year for him not being able to have that and not being able to possibly say goodbye in the right way you know he understands the nature of the business he understands the dynamics of it all so um, he understood going into this year that that might be an option. And then all of a sudden this hits and he didn't get any of those emotions. So now he has to hold all those emotions in and wait to see if he gets those again. And I imagine that was really, really hard for him. Um, not an easy thing. And, and hopefully we get to a point where um, we can all buy John Lester a, a Miller Lite or a Cruz light after every game. Although John would say a Miller
0: Lite. I thought you'd go Labatt's or Molson.
1: I can't – if I give John three LaBats, he can't stand up straight. Let's just get that. Ah, that Canadian beer. It's like moonshine there, Ryan.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Ryan, switching gears a bit, you and Kyle Hendricks will be forever linked thanks to that 2012 trade. What kind of sense of pride do you get watching him pitch and continue to stifle hitters when he's throwing a sub-90 fastball most of the time? And a lot of these guys nowadays are throwing 100-plus mile-an-hour velocity.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, it's it's really awesome that him and I have this connection. Not just because of a trade, we actually have a connection just since that trade happened of our relationship and talking pitching and talking life. And um, you know, when you it was my ninth season in Chicago, two thousand twelve. I was and I knew I was getting traded, and there was all these different trade possibilities out there. So when you go and you get traded to get traded for the guy who ultimately starts Game Seven of the World Series and helps the team win it, I mean that's all I ever wanted when I was in Chicago was to bring a world series as a player here. So to have the person that you're traded for, do that was, uh, for me, like this extremely gratifying thing, because, you know, I know I didn't play a part in who we were getting. I just happened to be a result of a, a really, really great, you know, trade. That being said, watching them pitch, that's awesome. I mean, we, we fall in love with velocity. We love velocity for many reasons because it misses a lot of bats. But it also makes the game sometimes – you would think it would make it a little bit more exciting, right? Oh, this guy's throwing 100. But when everybody just starts throwing 100, it just starts to become like whatever, you know? Like when you have a guy who can go out there and be a craftsman about his work, to be intelligent, smart, to not have to, you know – constantly take his hat off and look at the cue card says underneath his hat or reach into his back pocket and say, oh, what pitch am I throwing here? Because, no, he was prepared the night before to know in the sixth inning with runners on first and second, facing the six-hole hitter, and he got to a one-two count. That was the moment he was going to throw that backdoor cutter or that was the moment he was going to throw a frontside changeup. Whatever it is, he's thought that out, and he executes his plan. He adjusts. And I always I always take that game he threw against the uh, the Cardinals last year when he had the, the eighty three-pitch complete game, he knew that they were in Washington until three in the morning. He knew that they got laid into Chicago. He knew that they were tired. And so what did he do? He just said, I'm going to find out right away. And he threw a fastball right down the middle, and he got a ground ball. And then he threw more fastballs kind of middle, middle end. He wasn't thrown on the corners all day, every day. He just took advantage of what he knew was a team that was a little bit tired and a little fatigued. And to me, that showed – that the brain is more powerful than the arm when you're out there on the mound. It's one thing that I wish I was better at in my career. I didn't understand that until later, until playing with the best there ever was, and Greg Maddox, who taught me that. And, and Kyle is the epitome of it, man. And, you know, he's just smart enough to know that movement and location will outdo velocity most days of the week, and especially if you're locating. Cool, I'll throw, I'll throw it up there at 80, and you're going to get people out. And, uh, it's just really, really fun to see a guy... who who relies on those things in a a society and an environment where, you know, we drool and our eyes light up over everybody who throws a hundred.
0: Yeah. Everyone's so worried about those cats that throw triple digits and to see Kyle Hendricks get outs, keep guys out front and off balance with, you know, a sub 90 mile per hour fastball the way he switches speeds, the difference in, in velocity in between his off speed and his fastball depth, it's unbelievable. But when you think about all the things that go into managing a baseball game this day and age and not necessarily just from a managerial standpoint, just from the, the overall scope. And you, you look at all the analytics and analytics, they don't really account for those, those late plane rides, you know, guys who maybe have a, a case of the sniffles, you know, someone who got in a fight with their wife before the game and, and they're worried about if they're going to have to take the kids, you know, to, to be a, the, 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 I don't know what, what would they call it? the The carpool lane or they have to do zoom scheduling or something like that. Analytics doesn't really account for that. We saw analytics rear its ugly head in the game six of the World Series. Blake Snell was out there throwing absolute chainsaws and Kevin Cash pulls him out of the game. And when, I don't mean to get too far off the beaten path here, but when it comes to analytics in baseball, you know, you and I, we talked about it before. Analytics are almost like seasoning when it comes to food. If you just sprinkle just a little bit on it, it's going to make everything just, just, just right. But if you put too much on, it's going to drown out the flavor of your food. And that's what we saw in game six. Kevin Cash came out there with not just a salt shaker. He came out there with like a a, a bucket full of Lowry season salt and poured it all over Blake Snell. And just like that, they lost the World Series.
1: Yeah, I'm 100% with you, Cole. And you know what? I actually – I had this aha moment. I go – I was actually – at first I was very upset. As a starting pitcher, I want to – see that moment happen right like my favorite one of my favorite games i've ever watched outside of joe carter hitting that walk-off off off mitch williams and i was in british columbia watching that that winter and country canada shook for a moment was jack morris and john smoltz game one or game seven in 1991 and so as a starting pitcher those are those moments you know anybody out most through no hitter any pitcher on any given day can do something special on the mound um so why do we deny that? Why do we predict that we can't? And I actually, after a while and a couple of days went by, and then I started to see all of these people speaking out, right? And as we know, we're sometimes very afraid to say anything against the grain in today's society, especially when it comes to social media, because we get crushed. You know, there's a possibility you get canceled, whatever it is. When all of a sudden, all these really intelligent baseball people, baseball historians, people like Bob Costas. who was, I was going to say, did you hear Bob Costas on uh, Rich Eyes and Shit? It, it, it was, it was, it was incredible. incredible, if anybody's wondering. So I, I thought, well, man, there's always these moments that kind of help shape and shift baseball in different directions. Maybe this is actually a moment that is good for the game of baseball. As bad as it was for the, the Rays to lose that game, maybe this is the moment that we need to wake up a little bit and say, hey – we've got to be careful as to what's going on with our game. And, you know, we're not playing Stratomatic. Like Bob said, you could throw down the Stratomatic card. Well, it's the same result every time. So it doesn't – the card doesn't change during the game. So I always believe that if we take 30 teams and we use analytics, over the course of 162, those analytics are going to probably play out, you know, pretty true to their numbers. You know, guys, teams are going to win where they win and win where they lose. And you're always going to have somebody who, you know, kind of comes in there – but as you shorten that down, you go from 16 teams in the playoffs to eight teams and then to 14. You start – dude, stay out of the way. The players play. You've already taught them the analytics. You already put them in the position. The players play. Those are really, really good players out there. You know, Those are loaded teams, both sides, the best team in the American League versus the best team in the National League. And, and eventually, you know, you're know, you going to get bit. One of you is going to get bit by trying to play a game of unpredictability. You don't know. Like you said, you know, I don't know. Like, what happened up there? I don't know. The umpire blinked. Dude, it was a 1-1 count with the bases loaded, and he blinked, and he called ball. Meanwhile, I painted a pitch. Now i got to make a pitch 2-1 versus 1-2. Analytics right there. Well, now we throw that. Whoa, dude. Like, things can change because we're human beings playing the game, not computers, not board games, human beings. And I think, you know, we miss that. You know, I miss going to the bar with a buddy and going, dude, tonight it's Scherzer versus Cole for nine innings, not like – Scherzer versus Cole till we get to the six because we're at a hundred pitch count limit, but they're going yeah. to be the 90. <laughs> you know, we got it. We got to get back to that where the days of picking up the paper or looking on your app on your MLB app and you seeing the pitching matchup and being fired up for that pitching matchup instead of hoping that those pitchers are going to at least go six or seven. Like we've done nothing to change, right? Like it's not like all of a sudden we we've gone an hour longer in games for the same result, right? The games aren't all, all of a sudden like it's 18 to 16 and this is a blast. There's still three to two games. There's still one to yeah. nothing games. Every, the results are the same with way longer time period. Tommy John's are just as much, if not more. People are getting hurt all the time. So you're trying to tell me that pitch counts are the reason? No, I just think that we got to get back to what the purity of the game was and teach young pitchers, teach kids in the minor leagues how to get a lineup out three times, or four times instead of telling them they can't. If you're never going to let me get through the third time and then some random Wednesday yeah. in Kansas City, you're like, let's send him back out there. And then he does give up a bunch of runs. And then we go, see, can't get through three times. I know I haven't had the opportunity all year. How about you just let me learn how to do that. Let me how to make out adjustments. So the analytics are great. They give us a ton of information that we can give to our players to go out there and play and we can kind of manage a game. But let's play the game. Let's find out what happens when we just play the game. A guy might throw a shutout on game six of the World Series and have this magical moment that we talk about for the rest of our lives
0: if we allow that to happen. Yeah, maybe the best quote of all the postseason was Alex Rodriguez uh, when he added a few H's and S's into saying (laughs) that, uh, you know, that the Ivy League students, they continue to fail this course called postseason baseball, postseason baseball, as A-Rod would have said it. But, uh, Deb, as you and I know, you and I are the same age. Did you really play Stratomatic Baseball? You didn't play no. Stratomatic Baseball, did you?
1: No, I, 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 didn't.
0: I, didn't yeah. think so. I didn't. I didn't think so. I didn't think so. I know Tony's way too young for Stratomatic Baseball. He was playing, uh, he was, he was playing triple play 99 with Buck Martinez. And, and, the and for anybody
1: the who's listening, don't take this the wrong way. I was just playing real baseball.
0: Yeah, exa- exa- <laughs> exactly. Exactly.
2: Uh, so yeah, Dem, you talk about the the human side and stuff too, and we mentioned everything Lester did. But as we talk to you here on the four year anniversary of Game Seven of the Cubs winning it all, what Lester did in that game, what Hendricks did in that game, but. For you, what was it like watching all of that take place? What was your perspective? What emotions went through you as, you know, a former player who wanted to bring a championship to the club, but, you know, being able to watch and, and enjoy some of these guys that you are friends with and have a connection with, have that ultimate moment.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of emotions. You know, um, I was very, very close to that team. Um, from, you know, being in the clubhouse standpoint, I felt like I was on the 60 day DL with no chance at a rehab assignment. Uh, <laughs> But I remember walking to game six with Scott Harris, who was the assistant GM at the time, and we walked this path to the field, you know, did a little pregame stuff, and then we won. So the next day, it's like, call each other. Hey, dude, same route, right? Like, you got to take the same route. I'm not superstitious, but
0: I was very superstitious. So Hold on, Deb. When you say pregame stuff, you guys were shotgunning beers? Is that what it was? Uh, yeah, <laughs>
1: something like that. E- <laughs> eating chocolate cake from Pittsburgh. <laughs> yeah. uh, um, it, was, uh, it was a lot of, like, you know – all right, uh, pent up emotion. You're just so anxious for it to get there, um, and then Dex hit that home run, and I just remember going from like completely wound up tight to um, like just instant relaxation and comfort. Still having that edge on the on you, which is great, but it was just like, oh, you could breathe. Um, and then just kind of, you know, I'm sitting. It was me and my wife, and we had Kerry Wood and his wife, and and Rhino and his wife, and we had this section, and I think it was 144 there or 142 at, uh, at the stadium in Cleveland. And, and we're sitting there, and Aralis hits that – gives up that home run to Raja Davis. And I just remember this, like, whew, like ugh, heavy, heavy. Everything became very heavy. And I panned back to uh, before the season – while the season was going on, and I got on a soapbox on MLB Network, and I went on this rant about Cubs fans. There's going to come a point where the Cubs need you. And what I mean by that is they're going to need your energy to not be negative. They're going to need it to be positive because there's going to be this moment that it's going to feel very, very negative. I didn't even feel like game uh, five that I felt like the energy was way better than in this moment. It just was like very, very sunken, understandably so. A guy just hit a game-tying home run at the bottom of the night. And I remember looking around, and everybody was just shell-shocked, like just couldn't believe what happened. And I just turned around, and I'd had a couple of those shotguns, what you were talking about. Cole? Oh, I got a few, a few cold ones. <laughs> And I just, to the whole section and the section next to us, and I just yelled, it's going to be all right. We're going to be all right. Everything's going to be fine. Let's stay positive. And everybody just kind of went, all right, here we go. Everything's going to be all right, you know, and then the rain delay and everything like that. And then in that moment when it happened, you know, giving hugs, celebrating, and then running downstairs, um, I just, the joy that I was feeling was, it was overwhelming, actually, to be honest with you, Tony. I, I still can't remember um moments afterwards uh you know just because the the emotion was just like and it wasn't from the shotgun in the was that the, that the emotion it was, or was that the shotgun no <laughs> it was it was just the emotions of like you know you're hugging everybody and just time is moving so fast and you know i at one point i came out of the clubhouse and my wife was like really like you've left me for like almost an hour and a half i'm like it felt like five minutes in there that's how it felt Because you're just in the, you're so in the moment that you actually lose track of time. It's actually like a scientific thing where you, you get so involved in just being present with everybody there that you complete, it's called like a time-lapse. And that's what it was like, time-lapse for a moment. And to be out on the field and seeing David getting carried around and celebrating with Bill Murray and Eddie Vedder and all these guys and, you know, and just everybody. And then just seeing Theo and Jed and everybody in the front office who I watched, you know day in day out put everything that they had with no control right so like they can put all these pieces in place but ultimately they can't make anything happen for those guys and and they you know to see their excitement the look on their face of like we did it man we did what we said we were going to do um and then obviously the players and Joe Madden and everybody it was just it was it was overwhelming still to this day is is you know when i take those moments down memory lane right now i'm just chills on my arms and it was just so special and, and knowing what it meant to an entire city and a fan base around the country and around the world was, was pretty special.
0: I still think that my old neighbors in California, they, they still to this day, if they're not baseball fans, they think I have a legitimate beef with some cat named Rajay Davis because I cussed his name <laughs> up and down at the top of my lungs. And even when Dex hit that home run, I was clapping my hands so hard, my whole right hand was bruised from my wedding ring, so I was sitting there clapping, yeah. all right, let's go, let's go. But I, I picture you at, at Progressive Field after that Davis home run telling everybody that everything's going to be all right. I'm picturing the movie Half-Baked when Jim Brewer gets fired from the record store and he does his Jerry <laughs> Maguire impression. Don't worry. Don't worry. I'm not going to do what everybody thinks I'm going to do. And flip out, man. I, I can see you in the stands there telling everybody, guys, don't worry. We've been through this before. There's been ups and downs. This is game seven. But the Cubs, they're here to take this commissioner's trophy home.
1: That's exactly what it was like. And all these Indian fans were looking over at me like, hey, dude, who's the guy over there that doesn't realize they're going to lose? Like, they're all like looking at me like, you're out of your mind. And, and like, people were, people were like, it was like, you know, sh- you know, the uncomfortable, should we clap then? Like, we just gave up a two run homer. Should we clap? This is weird, you know? But I was yeah. like, no, we, they need it right now. They need that emotion so that they can feel that. Believe it or not, man, that's the one thing too. Fans got to understand we feel that as players, you know, like when you're out there on the field, you feel that energy. You feel when that goes and you feel when it lifts you up. So in those moments, you know, in that moment right there, we needed that, but you're right, man. Like, like, I, I think I even remember Kerry, uh, you know, he was right in the seat behind me, Carrie Wood, like kind of in my ear going, Hey, good try, man. You, you fired up three people, <laughs> but we did. We got it going again. We got it going again. And then it turned into a, a pretty special uh special night there in Cleveland
0: okay, real quick before we get you out of here. uh I know you said that you forgot a lot of things that happened on November second, you almost kind of blacked out and uh then turn the page you wake up the next day November 3rd the Cubs are World Series champions because I know after that I went down to Venice Beach I bought a bunch of t-shirts and I said you know what I'm gonna make up all kinds of different Cubs championship shirts I made a Cubs logo with Bill Murray's head as the U I put a a smiling Michael Jordan in the middle of the Cubs logo I just had t-shirt after t-shirt I'm like okay it's only gonna cost a few bucks to put them on t-shirts that I bought oh no 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 every laminate I put on the front was 35 bucks. So when they gave me the the bill for all these t-shirts, it was 300-something dollars. I said, you know what? If the Cubs hadn't won the World Series yesterday, I said, I I would probably do something that I would probably get arrested for. But nevertheless, (laughs) the Cubs won the World Series yesterday, so I'm feeling just fine. So what was November 3rd like for you, Dale?
1: Yeah, it was was magical. I mean, we got home so late, you know, early morning um, from Cleveland, uh, you know, and then get to the field and then got home and got a couple hours of sleep. And you would think after that moment, right, like, just like you'd you'd want to sleep for as long as you could sleep but it was like the adrenaline it didn't wear off until after the parade like it just kept going and you just you i walked up and down went and got a coffee you know and walked up and down the streets and you're seeing the w flags in front of everybody's house and everybody just happy and elated and like this sense of like it was almost like everything in the world was right the next day like you didn't even have to have stoplights. Somehow magically the cars would have just like merged <laughs> in between each other at the corner of Ashland and Addison. It would just like a Truman like, show. You know what? You go ahead all week till after you're done. Like there was you know, it was just so um it it was so delightful. It really was like being around Wrigley and then, you know, just experiencing it all and then the uh the parade. You know, you couldn't have got a, a better day. Um it was sunny and, and nice and you know. I just remember riding around with my dad, my, my family my kids and my, my, um, my dad and mom and dad were in town and, and he just looked at me and he's like, Ryan, there's 5 million people here. Like we're from a town of 5,000 people in Gibson's British Columbia. And he's like, what am I doing here? And I'm like, you just experienced like magic at its finest, dad. Like this is, this is a, you know, a, a, a moment in our life that we'll, we'll, uh, we'll never forget. And um, you know, just driving up and down and all the signs and all the people just, block after block after block and uh, you realize that what they did out on that field you know didn't just impact them for a lifetime it impacted families and generations for a lifetime and what, what's better than that you know that's what that's what baseball is all about going to a game with your kid as I know you do Cole you know you and Pacey going to Dodger games there and you'll be going to Cubs games again uh, when we get fans back but developing those bonds in those moments and then to, to be able to share that with with so many people man just absolutely, just really a magical experience.
0: Yeah, I can't wait for Wrigley Field to open back up so I can convert my child's fandom. I mean, how, how does that look for me? I'm, I'm sitting there doing Cubs pre- and post-game shows and my little one's over there cheering for Dave Roberts and the Dodgers. But, you know, with that being said, like like you said, Dem, she's been to plenty of games at the Ravine, and it's only a matter of time before she's cheering on those Chicago Cubs and Dempo. I can't wait to see the all the new episodes of Off the Mound. You know, they like you said, the, the set – at Marquee Sports Network, it looks second to none. And uh, when you're behind that desk hosting that show, man, we know it's going to be a quality product. So it's great to have you on the show here with Tony and myself. And that is going to do it for this edition of the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Trust. And don't forget to download and subscribe to the pod on Spotify or Apple Podcast or wherever you get your pods at and make sure you do it today. Or else Demp, he's going to come to your house. He's going to try to cheer you up. He's like, don't worry. <laughs> he's not going to do what everybody thinks he's going to do and flip out. It's gonna be
1: all right, Cole. Everything's gonna be all right, Tony. We got it. Hey, thank you guys very, thank you guys very much, man, for having me on. I appreciate it. That was a blast.